Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This morning is where we're going to start. We've been looking at the topic of spiritual awakening. And uh, if you've been here for the past two, three months or so, then you've realized that this has been a, a series that was preceded by a different series on the topic of prayer. Now, it's been interesting how those two things have come together. We looked at prayer for probably five, six weeks or so. We finished out that series looking at what it means to pray for spiritual awakening. And whenever I use that phrase, spiritual awakening, it's nothing mystical, it's nothing weird or, or odd at all. Uh, spiritual awakening just simply speaks of the uh, coming to that place where we as Christians where we are closer to God than we've ever been, where our lives are yielded to Him. We start seeing things happen in our lives that have been really long since coming. Uh, we're able to forgive people that we couldn't forgive before. We're able to uh, let go of things that once held us captive. We're able to uh, break free from other uh, you know, habits that have just led us down the wrong road. Really, we're just close to God. We have a passion for Him and a hunger and a thirst for Him. And that's what I mean by spiritual awakening. There's a, a, a real mark of repentance in our lives as Christians. Uh, we're awake. We're awake spiritually, whereas before we had drifted off into areas that God didn't want us to. But spiritual awakening also refers to those who don't have a relationship with Christ. And them coming to a place where that is uh, suddenly uh, uh, the greatest desire they have is to be forgiven of their sin and to be in a relationship with God. You begin to hear stories that, that, uh, that, that crop up that that uh, you never heard before, stories of people that you had long before given up on, and, and they're suddenly beginning to ask questions, or they're seeking God, or they're making decisions to give their lives to Christ. And so that's what we've been looking at, is the topic of, of spiritual awakening, and the importance that it carries in our lives, that we be close to God, that we be yielded to God, and there be no hindrance at all in our relationships with Him. Well, this morning I want us to continue in that series in a message entitled, Stepping into Spiritual Awakening. You know, we've looked already at praying for spiritual awakening. We've looked at the greatness of God and how His greatness calls us to know Him for who He is. We've looked last Sunday at the, uh, uh, a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and how there are certain conditions for spiritual awakening in our lives. God tells us that if we humble ourselves, and if we pray, and if we seek His face, and if we repent, if we turn from our wicked ways, then He will hear from heaven, He'll forgive our sin, and He will bring healing to our land, He'll bring healing to our lives. So there are conditions to spiritual awakening. But this morning, I want us to look, if there was a step for us to take, or a couple of steps to take. That's what I want us to look at this morning. Now, you've probably learned already in life that there are times when it is not good to be asleep. There are times when, it, really, sleeping is not the thing you want to be doing in that specific time. How many of you have ever, say back in your school days, when you were in college, or, or if you're currently in college, how many of you ever missed an exam because you slept through the alarm clock, all right? Some of you are holding your hands up way too proudly, like, yes, I, I would have failed it anyway, so yes, I slept through. How many of you have ever missed an important meeting at work because you slept through the alarm clock and missed them? How many of you were napping while at work and missed the meeting because, okay, some of you are even more prideful of that. How many of you ladies have ever uh, dozed off when your husband was talking about his, A, latest golf round, B, latest fishing trip, C, latest hunting trip, and if you ever choose to sleep during the, those times? Now, we've got to be fair. Guys, how many of you have ever fallen asleep while your wife was talking about her latest ideas for redecorating the house? Any of you ever fallen asleep during those? Okay. How many of you ever fell asleep at dinner on a first date? Any of you do that? All right. No hands, because you might be married now to that to that first day. There are bad times to fall asleep, right? There is a allotted time in our, in our day, typically, unless you work night shifts and those kind of things. There is an allotted time for us to be sleeping. And, and there are times when you can't afford to be asleep. 
Well, it's the same spiritually. There are instances that come to our lives. There are times that, that we experience where, where we're, we're jolted awake. It's almost as though God rattles our cage. You know, when your 10-year-old, 12-year-old comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, how do I get to heaven? That's not a time that you want to be playing catch up with God. That's not a time when you, when you want to realize that, that, you know, I've been sleeping through this whole raising the child thing, pointing them to Christ, nurturing their heart towards Jesus, and, and now I wish I had been awake. You don't want that to happen. When your boss informs you that you no longer have a job, and in your mind you're already doing the math as to how many bills there are to pay and how much cash flow you'll have, which is now little because you lost your job, and those things don't add up to be a very good number, that's not a time when you want to to have been sleeping in your relationship with God. When your teenager is straying off into things that you would have never dreamed of, and you're thinking, how in the world do I bring them back to a place where there is some semblance of normalcy in, our, in their lives? How do I bring them back to a place to where they have a heart for God, to where they're going to have a pursuit of the things that are good and right in this world? How do I even do that? You don't want to be asleep at that time. And so there are good times for us to be asleep, and then there are times that can be absolutely devastating for us to fall asleep. Why? Why do we want to be awake spiritually? Why do we need spiritual awakening in our lives? You may have been a Christian for 50 years, and yet you may need spiritual awakening today. Why is that? There are a few reasons. One, because God's glory really demands it. God's glory deserves us being awake and close to Him spiritually. Christ died to make us right with God. He died for us to be spiritually awake, spiritually alive, close to Him with nothing between us. Jesus died for that. He didn't pay a price for us to have anything less than absolute, total, complete surrender to Him in our relationships with Him. But He also made us for that. You know, God didn't make us to be mediocre. How many of you have ever gotten a job because whenever the, you know, the person who was hiring sat down and they went through all their list of stuff and, and they asked you, you know, what do you expect to bring to this job? How many of you got the job because you said, you know, I just kind of hope for the middle of the road. I'm not going to work too hard, but I'm not going to work too little. I'm just going to kind of be in the middle, mediocre. That's what I'm going to be. How many of you ever got a job because you said that? Probably very little. And if you did, you didn't keep it long because the person who hired you did it in desperation and they realized they could find somebody better than you. Why? Because God does not desire us to be mediocre in anything we do. Do everything as unto the Lord. And when it comes to our lives, he wants them to be surrendered to him. And yes, there's a place for pursuits in our lives. Yes, there's a place for us to do things that we enjoy, for us to have hobbies in our lives. But listen, Jesus didn't die just to be first in our, or just, just to be a, a part of our lives. He died to be our life. <laughs> One of the worst things I can say to someone else is that, you know what, Jesus is a part of my life. No, he, he does not desire just that. He wants to be my life. That's why he came. That's why he, he gave his life. That's why he rose again. <laughs> well, so that he could define who we are. And yet there are so many times for us, whenever we take inventory of our lives, we realize, as people who love God, as people who want to follow him, we realize that, you know what, I've just dozed off in this whole thing. And I've let sin creep into my life. I've let sin creep in and define me to where when people see me, they don't see Christ the way they used to. Uh, I've, allowed, I've begun to embrace things that God didn't want me to embrace. If we're not careful, we come to a place to where our hearts are hard. We are, we are selfish people. We're defined by what we want and what we pursue, not by Him. And we need to be made awake again. You know, I got a, an email this past, uh, actually it was last week. I didn't get it till this week. I was out of town the first part of this week. But I got an email from a couple in our, in our church. And uh, man, I'm telling you, when I read this email... Uh, it just, it made my whole day. 
And it's exactly what we're aiming for in a series like this regarding being fully awake in our walks with God. Listen, I asked their permission if I could read a portion of this email. Just, just listen to what it said. It's referencing the message from last Sunday. We talked about humbling ourselves and praying and seeking the face of God and, and re- being repentant and experiencing his promises. Listen to what it says. It says, I have longed for years to hear a preacher to preach on revival, on submission, surrender, obedience, and going deeper. All too often, all I've heard is half-truths merged with humanism, which has given birth to a weird form of self-help Christianity that's foreign to Scripture into what Christ taught. Too often I've been in evangelism conferences and meetings, and the focus is plans and marketing strategies. And when someone has had the courage to raise a hand and ask, well, what about prayer? The response has been, well, prayer is important, but... And the speaker returns to his model for church growth. I remember one evangelism director telling me in today's church environment and culture that if I would simply follow his plan, meaning the evangelism director, sing music that I didn't like and make every week a celebration theme, he guaranteed a church of thousands in less than three years. The church has lost its way. And all that seems relevant today in a church world full of marketing, growth plans, and video conferences, it's just simply putting people in seats. Yet there is no brokenness, no contriteness, no repentance, no seeking of God, only self and pride. I have been and will continue to be in prayer for you in this church that revival will start and that God will visit First Baptist Church of the Islands. You know, you get an email like that, you can go for weeks (laughs) off of an email like that of someone that says, you know what, I get it. This morning, what does it mean to step into spiritual awakening? Well, for us to fully understand that, I believe what we have to, we have to answer a question and we have to apply a step. There's going to be a question that's going to be asked of you this morning. It's not a question about how we grow a church. It has a question that has implications for where you will be in the future in regards to your walk with God. And it's a question that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago of a specific person in a specific setting that I believe he still asks of us today. And the way we answer that question can mean the difference between life and death. It can mean a life of, the difference between a life of regret as a believer and a life of fruitfulness as a believer. It's a question that is so important that we must answer it. And we're going to look at it in the course of this message this morning. But we also have to understand that the way we answer that question will have the implications upon how, ultimately, what our next step is. And if we're willing to apply the step we're going to look at this morning. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to start. And I want us to begin to look here at the step that we need to apply the step that we need to apply in order to experience spiritual awakening in our lives. Hebrews is, we don't understand which person on the face of this earth wrote the book of Hebrews. Now we know that every, every individual book in Scripture, and there are 66 of them, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, every one of them were written by people, we understand that. But God wrote these books through the people that authored them. So that we can rightly say that Scripture is God's Word to us. It is without error. We can understand it. There are hard things to understand there, but the basic picture of Scripture, God has enabled us to understand so that we can respond to it and apply it to our lives. Well, the book of Hebrews, we don't know what person wrote it. We don't have to know which person wrote it because God is the one who gave us this particular book as He did all books of Scripture. And so when we look in chapter 11, what we find here is that 
This chapter deals with the topic of faith, and it lists a lot of names of people in the Old Testament who made the decision to walk by faith in their lives. And by the way, that is an, an, an ingredient in our walks with God that is a non-negotiable. If we're going to walk with God, we walk with Him by faith. I've never prayed a prayer and heard God answer from heaven, I heard you, Brooks. would have freaked me out if that would have ever happened. He does not do that today. I don't have any idea. I don't have an answer for you why He does that. There are certainly people who claim to do that. Typically, they're also asking for a lot of money. They live in real big houses that, that, well, we won't go down that road. That's another message, perhaps. But we're going to have to walk by faith if we're going to walk with God. The decisions we make, we make by faith. It is not blind faith because God gives us Scripture that gives us the light for our path, and it's His Word that we can take to the bank, that we can trust with all of our heart. And so Hebrews 11 is speaking of faith, and in verse 6, it makes a very interesting point. Read with me, Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, in other words, they must believe that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, there are a couple of key words in that verse that I just read. One key word, you may want to circle it or underline it or highlight it or whatever you like to do, is the word seek right at the end of that verse. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's where my mind goes. Okay, God, then how do you want me to seek you? What, what, what's the limit here? I mean, what line do I have to cross to really be able to say, okay, I'm a seeker of God? Does that mean I show up at church every Sunday or, or maybe every couple of Sundays or maybe once a month? Does that make me a seeker of God? What about if I read my Bible a couple of times during the week? Does that make me a seeker of God? If I give money in an offering plate, if I try to do good things, if I pray before my meals or maybe even other random times during the day, does that really, is that what makes me a seeker of God? Because I want to know this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who likes to know the details. So w- what is it that characterizes me as a seeker of God? Because he just told me in verse six, that I've got to have faith in order to please him, that if I'm going to come to him, that I have to seek him. So how do I do this? Well, here's the good news. Back in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29, you don't have to turn there. We'll have it on the overhead in just a second. It tells us how we are to seek him. And the prophet Jeremiah writing 600, roughly 600 years before Christ would come, lays out for us in a passage of scripture that you may have heard before, Exactly what God is looking for as a seeker of himself. And so Jeremiah chapter 29, let's, uh, let's bring that up and then read with me as we begin to look at this important passage of Scripture. Verse 11, you've probably heard this before. He says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you future and a hope. You see, that completely, <laughs> it completely blows out of the water, doesn't it? Completely blows out of the water that God is a God who is against us, that he's always wanting to make us feel guilty, that he's always wanting to make us pay. No, God is a God who has plans for those who he has made, plans for welfare, not calamity, plans to give you future and a hope. Verse 12, he says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will seek me, verse 13, and find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. You got to be all in. Now we understand in light of the New Testament, that we only know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, 
right? He laid out the, the clarification for us that no one can come to the Father except through relationship with Him. That relationship is when we turn from our sin, invite Him in to take over our lives. He becomes our forgiver. He becomes our leader, our Savior, our Lord. But we don't get that just by kind of dipping our foot into that end of the pool. We, have to, we, we find Him when we seek Him with, with all of our heart. Here, here's what it seems that God is saying. It seems as though God is saying, you know, I, I'm not your lottery ticket. I'm not a scratch-off that you just come to me whenever you really need the big-ticket item. And, and you come and pray to me. Oh, God, bail me out of this mess. Oh, God, please give me a job. Oh, God, please help me to find that person I want to marry. Oh, God, please fix, my, uh, fi- fix the mess my child has made. And we only come to him and scratch off that, you know, that request. That's not what God is looking for. Now, many times, by his grace, he'll grant those requests. And thankfully so. I mean, God, God is infinite in mercy, infinite in grace. And there are times when he's the last thing on our list, but we want him to bail us out. And a lot of times he does. And that's grace. But that's not what he's looking for. We may get bailed out, but we probably will not have much of an experience with him because we only find him when we seek for him with all of our heart. God says, I'm not your lottery ticket. I'm not Aladdin in a lamp. I mean, don't come and just kind of rub when you want something. That's not the way he operates. Again, he may grant it because he's a God of grace. He's a God who loves to lavish his people with good things, but, but he's not going to be known just by simply coming to him on those kinds of terms. It's almost as though when we look at that passage of Scripture that God is saying, I'm not into playing games. I mean, either you're going to be all in or you're not. There is no distinguishing uh, middle ground there between being fully immersed in Christ and being fully immersed in yourself. It's either all in or you're not. And for the New Testament Christians, those men and women who walked with God in the first century, that's the way it was. You were either all in or you were not in. There was very little middle ground. And we read of some in the book of Acts specifically. We read of some in, in the New Testament. But for most of those who changed this world, it was because their lives were fully yielded to Christ. You know, I liken it, for example, to a... Uh, to a skydiver. Any of you ever been skydiving, maybe in a, uh, in a moment where you lacked wisdom outside of military? Right? Some of you have. We had a few in our first service that went skydiving. I've never been skydiving. I don't have a plan to ever go skydiving. You couldn't give me enough money to make me go skydiving. Uh, I'm not even praying about the possibility of going skydiving. I have no desire to go skydiving, jumping out of a perfect, perfectly good airplane. It's just not on my, my, it's not in my bucket. Okay, it's not in my bucket list of things to do. Some of you have, some of you will do it again. I, I hope to never have to be in that particular number. But you know, if you've ever been skydiving, what you've learned is, is that there is no real practice run. You know, it's like skiing. I mean, either you're on the slope or you're not. But once you're there, you're gone. You know, there's not really any, any middle ground there. And if you're a skydiver, you don't get a bungee that's about 50 feet long and say, just take a practice shot at it. You know, and come back up. Hey, take it off. I think I'll try it for real this time. No, you don't get that. I mean, it's like inch out to the, to the wing. You're holding on, and, uh, and finally they say go, and poof, there's a point where you're out. I mean, you're spread eagle all the way facing toward, towards the earth, and you're hurtling at an enormously rate of speed that God perhaps never even intended for the human body. And there's not a practice run. You're either doing it or you're not. Firefighters, the same way. Doesn't matter how much training you have as a firefighter. Doesn't matter matter how many conferences you've sat in, seminars you've taken, classes that you've enrolled in. There is a point where you, as a firefighter, have to step foot across a a threshold from, from perfectly safe territory into a burning house. And when everything in your mind says, don't go in there, it's the heart of the firefighter that says, I'm going in. And there's not a practice run. 
There's not a run where you kind of get in. It's like, oh, I'm scared. Turn it off, turn it off. You know, maybe next time I'll do a little better. No, you are all the way in. And when it comes to a relationship with God, if we're going to have spiritual awakening in our lives where we're able to forgive people that have just absolutely ruined our lives, and if we're able to, to just cut loose and let go of things that we've held on to for years that God never intended us to, and if we're able to break loose of things that have held on to us for years that God never intended to hold on to us, if we're able to put down sin in our lives and to clamor for God with a heart that is pure and just to cry out to Him, God, mold me and shape me to who you want me to be, and if we're able to see Him do things in us and things through us that, that no way we could have ever imagined it at some point in the past in our lives. If that's the kind of life we want, it's not going to come because we're playing games with Him or only coming to Him when we need something. It's going to be when we seek Him with all your heart. Jeremiah in the Old Testament confirmed it. The writer of the book of Hebrews confirmed it. That without faith that is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. But there, there was a second key word there in that passage I just read, and it's the word rewarder. <laughs> and it's there. And you can't get away from it. And how, how awesome is it? That despite choices I've made in the past, despite where I've been or what I've done, God says, listen, if you come to me on my terms and you seek me with all your heart, what does he say in that passage in Hebrews? He says that the result of that is that he will reward that step. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that it's a promise to us based on that passage of Scripture. So there, there's a principle then here. And I've touched on it earlier. The, the principle is this, is that for us to experience spiritual awakening we must answer a question and we must apply a step we must answer a question and we must apply a step so this is the step all right god another step to take you want me all in you want me to go hard after jesus christ with all my heart the best that i can not playing games I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm still going to struggle. I know I'm still going to stumble. But you want me to go after you with all my heart. I get that. That's the step I have to apply. And if I'm going to have spiritual awakening, more than likely, I understand that's the step I'm going to take. It's to, to yield my life. Lord, take all of me. Turn from the sin that separates me. Help, uh, uh, God, give me a heart for you. I've got to go hard after you understand that. But what's the question that I have to answer? Because if we don't answer the question rightly, we're never going to take the step. Well, John chapter 5 is what helps us to see a question that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago. And it's a question that I believe he still asks of us today. John chapter 5, to give you a little context, Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem. His ministry is kicking in pretty high gear at this point. He's becoming more well-known. He's right there in the city, city of Jerusalem. And he's somewhere near, more than likely, from what the passage says, what's called the sheep gate. It's the gate where uh, the animals would be brought in, ultimately to be given in sacrifice to God. Jesus is there by the sheep gate, and he makes his way over to an area there inside the city wall called Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. 
The Bible describes it as a place where there were colonnades, five specific colonnades there, columns, a portico covered, just immaculate, beautiful area there. And there was a pool there, and there was a belief in that particular point in time that an angel would come and he would stir the waters, and the first one in the water would be healed of their infirmities. And so because of that belief, you can imagine there were a lot of people there that were sick, that were unable to help themselves, they were weak. That just every, everyone that, that had needs would seemingly make their way to this pool of Bethesda there in the city of Jerusalem. Well, Jesus would be there this particular day. And the Bible tells us that he encounters a man there who had been unable to walk for 38 years, almost four decades of his life. 38 years, this man would place himself somehow at the edge of that water with the hopes and with the belief that he someday would be healed. And yet for 38 years, he had, been re- he had remained in that condition. The Bible doesn't tell us what caused it, doesn't tell us if he was born that way, doesn't tell us if this was something that came as a result of a disease or an illness or an injury in his, in, in his life. It doesn't tell us. But it tells us in John chapter 5, in verse 5, that he had been there for 38 years in that condition. Well, Jesus, this particular day, he comes by and he sees him there at the water's edge. And he asks him... A very interesting question. In fact, it's in verse 6 of that chapter, John chapter 5. Listen to what the question is. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Just six words, he says to him, do you wish to get well? (laughs) Boy, I've made a lot of hospital visits. In my years in ministry, there is not one time that I can ever remember, (laughs) and aren't you glad if you were the one in the hospital, walking into a hospital room and knock, 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 it's Brooks, come on in, and walking up to the bedside and looking at them with, with, uh, in their condition that required hospitalization and leaning in and saying, so tell me, do you hope to get better? I've never done that, (laughs) and I'm glad. (laughs) Because that's kind of a question that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense asking a person who's hospitalized. But Jesus did it. And I look at that and I wonder, what was going on in the mind and in the heart of Christ that would cause him to step into a situation where the man in front of him had been in that state for almost 40 years, completely dependent, unable to help himself, and the only thing Jesus can say are the six words, do you wish to get well? We know that he said it because it's right here in the book of John. John captured it for us. But what we don't know is how did Jesus say this? I wonder if Jesus maybe didn't put the emphasis on the word you. Looking into the eyes of that man in such a condition where he was completely dependent upon those around him. Maybe Jesus looked at him and first said, do you wish to get well? You see, that communicates something, doesn't it? Because with all the hundreds, if not thousands of people surrounding the pool of Bethesda that day, how awesome would it have been and so like Jesus to step into this man's life and to come right where he was in his broken condition and to look him in the eye and, and, and seemingly say, you know, I'm not thinking about all these other people and all these other needs around me as far as the eye can see. I am looking eyeball to eyeball at you and I have a personal question Because I know your personal heart, and my question is, do you, right where you lay, want to get well today? 
He may have said it that way. Jesus may have emphasized another word. He may have emphasized the word wish. Looking in the eyes of that man, he may have said it this way. Do you wish to get well? Do do you even want to be healed today? Because in your condition, you've obviously made it for almost 40 years. Someone has given you your food. Someone has given you something to drink. Someone has provided for your needs. Someone has been able to be there to assist you when you needed it most. And my question is, it's real easy to get comfortable and complacent, even in a condition such as this. And so before we go any further, I have a question to ask. Do you even want, do you even wish to be made well today? Because there are some that are comfortable right where they are. They quit thinking about what life could be like. I'm just fine here. So do you even wish to be well? Or he could have said it this way. Do you wish to be well? (laughs) You may have long since quit thinking about being healed. You might have completely given up on a life that you thought you could have ever had. You may have grown bitter and angry. You may have completely distanced God to the farthest margin of your life, and the only time you come out is to shake a fist at Him. Well, here's the unthinkable, and I've just got a question for you today. In this condition where you've been for 38 years, do you want to get, get this, well? (laughs) You know, it's funny how those similarities carry over to us, isn't it? when it comes to spiritual awakening. You know, this morning, God may be, He may be tapping you on the shoulder. You may have long, for so long, been running from Him. You may have sin in your life that you've been clinging to rather than Him. You may have known Him for years, but He's not even on the radar of your life today. And He comes in the midst of this big old place this morning, in the midst of everything going on in this world, all the turmoil in in virtually every nation that dots this planet, and He comes to you today, and He knocks on your door, and He says to you, do you want spiritual awakening in your life? Do you really want this? Because if you want this, it's going to require you coming after me with all of your heart. And there are good things in your life that I'm not going to take away from you. I'm not going to send you to your room and take away all your toys you know, for the rest of your life. I love you. I'm your God. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who saved you. But he may say to you, but you've got to, you've got to come after me with all your heart. I can't be a part of your plans. I have got to be your life. But I've already promised that I'll reward that kind of faith and that kind of pursuit. So let's just settle it today. Do you even want that? Or for some of you, you may have wandered so far. God may have not even been on your radar at all until these recent days. And you're here today because you're just wondering, hoping above all hope, boy, that he would have anything to do with your life. You may be sitting there thinking, if these people only knew what I did this past weekend, if they only knew what I did a year ago, last year, ten years ago, if they only knew they'd kick me out of this place, number one, no, we wouldn't. There'd be few of us left. Most of us would be outside, huddled up, and I think we can't any of us get in, but for God's grace. But you know what? God knows what you did, and he knows where you've wandered. And though you may have given up any hope at all that God would ever want anything to do with you, you know what? He is knocking on your door today saying, I just got to know, and I can bring everything you need, and I love you so much I've died in your place, and I'll take you in a heartbeat. But I got to know, do you even want to be made alive.
what's the step we got to take? All in. All in with Jesus. He rules our lives. And that's a choice that you make. You'll never take the step until you answer the question. Do you wish to be well? Jesus would say in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, speaking to a hillside of followers and would-be followers, he would speak what we know of as a Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't announced that way. Come here, Jesus, preach the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> but he would say a verse, he would say a statement there that we capture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It's very simple. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, a lot of us know what it's like to be dry and empty. A lot of us know what it's like to be bankrupt outside the city gates, so to speak, without a relationship with you. There are some here today. That's right where they are. Lord, they don't need to be talked into the fact that they're separated from you. They, they already know that. Your spirit, because you love them so greatly, has already been working in their hearts to where they have a sense of a need for a Savior. And Lord, the question before them right now is, are they willing to take the drastic step to make a break from their sin? And Lord, I think I probably know what they're thinking. They're, they're wondering, I can't do this. I've tried it already so many times to live a good life. And Lord, all it is really is a change of mind. It's a decision that says, you know, I don't want that in my life anymore. We can only walk walks of purity when you give us strength. And we only have that strength when we're in relationship with you. And so Lord, I pray today for those that don't have that relationship, but they're ready to make that break from sin. They don't want it in their lives anymore. That today, right where they sit, that they would make a decision to turn from their sin. You call that repentance. And they would even take the step to invite Jesus Christ, God himself who died and who rose, to take over their lives. That he would forgive them of all their sin, past and present and even future. And Lord, they wouldn't try to figure it all out because it's, it takes a lifetime really to, to answer so many of the questions we have. And some of those we don't get answered until we get to heaven. But Lord, may they just make the right step, the first step, that they turn from sin and invite Jesus to take over and to define who they are, to forgive them and to be their, their leader, their Savior, their Lord. Lord, there are others here that have made that choice in their lives already. It may have been recently, it may have been a long time ago, but today they find themselves at a place where, where you're not first anymore. It doesn't mean they've lost their salvation but Lord, they've probably already begun to suffer the consequences of what life is like when, when you're pushed down the, the list of priorities. And Lord, today you're calling them back, but they've got to answer the question. Are they willing to come after you with all their heart? Are they willing to let you be the one who defines their life? Not a part of it, but you're it. And so Lord, I pray that today all over this place for believers that have wandered, that they would be even now confessing, Lord, their their sin and where they've wandered, where they've fallen short and experiencing the joy that comes when we're right with you, that you forgive it. Lord, you remove it as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, we don't have to move on in guilt. We can move forward with such a sense of purity in our lives because of what you've done for us. 
But Lord, it doesn't come when we dabble with you. It comes when we're all in. And so Lord, I pray we answer the question rightly. That we do want you. We want all of you. And God, that we would take that step to surrender all of who we are to Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your promise that it's as we hunger and thirst after righteousness that we will be filled, that we will be satisfied. May many today experience that as they step into Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.